Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. Vosh, another incel arc, seriously? Guys, I love the incel arcs. Don't you want to have more incel arcs? I love the incel arcs. They are so much fun. I feel like it's a really good blend of, like, self-help and, like, you know, political activism. And we need good self-help, by the way. I've said this before, but the left really struggles when it comes to self-help. So much of the self-help industry is, like, meaningless, self-affirmating, like, bullshit, you know? Or self-affirmating? Self-affirming bullshit. Like, it's completely and utterly worthless. It does absolutely nothing. Absolutely zero. Here's the, here's the real red pill, okay? In reality, humans are complicated enough that when it comes to direct inspiration and motivation, almost no advice is going to reliably hit every person who listens to or reads it, you know? You can make a book if you want with very good self-help advice and maybe have it land with half the people who read it. And maybe that's a success. Maybe it's all stochastic. Maybe you're throwing it out there just hoping for the probability to run in the favor of whoever picks it up. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't know. A lot of self-help just always, it feels like self-help is controlled entirely by, like, the trio. You guys know about the trio, don't you? The trio are, like, they're, like, the three, like, major pegs of self-help, okay? Where one of them is, like, hippie woo bullshit. The other one is, like, sigma male grind set, grind boss, grind keep, grind wash. And then the third one is, like, manosphere misogyny. And those are the three self-help, like, that's like the trinity, you know? And of the three, the hippie woo shit is probably the least destructful. Maybe. Jordan Peterson, too. Well, Jordan Peterson is kind of in between two of them. Jordan Peterson is kind of like a mix of the Sigma male... Actually, I feel like Jordan Peterson is directly in the center, right? Because there is some woo shit in there. There is some woo shit. But there's also some Manosphere type stuff, and then there's also some Sigma Male, Gate Grind, Keep Boss, Sigma... Have I ever actually gone over the rules for life? I don't think I actually have. Yeah. These are JP's first 12 rules for life. Which, by the way, if these are the 12 rules, I don't know how you can make another 12 rules that you just so happen to crank out in a book right after you run into financial trouble because you went to Russia for experimental brain stuff and your daughter runs everything in your life, and you're dying because you only eat meat, you know? So, seems like they may have cranked that one out, but, like, what are the vibes we're getting at here? Let's identify. Vosh, self-help expert, Sigma male, it is known, uh, throwing it out there. We're rating Jordan Peterson's 14 Rules for Life. 14. 24. Sorry. Here's the 12 rules, okay? Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Good posture advice. Probably a confidence thing, right? You know? It's not so much about good posture as it is about holding frame. No, in, in reality, I think it's about, like, taking yourself seriously in public areas. By the way, good rule. Good rule. I'm rating it. Good rule. I say it's good. You can see with a lot of people, when they're in public spaces, they slouch a little bit. And it's not just a posture thing. The posture is important. It's also about having the confidence to take up physical space. Everybody has the right, physically and metaphysically, to take up physical space in the area that they're around. Everybody does. Some people, they just try to avoid notice. They, they're apologetic with their behavior, you know? Um, the way they look, the way they act, the way they talk. 
But you should. You should have your shoulders, you know, your shoulders back. You should stand up straight. You should look people in the eye when you talk to them. Uh, and you should speak loudly so that people can hear you, you know? Nothing bothered me more when I was doing a service job when I saw some, like, really sad sack, like, you know, depressive person come in. And they would, like, talk too quiet for me to hear them. And, like, I get that they're going through stuff. I'm not going to blame them for it. But, like, you ask them to speak up and you can tell that they're dying inside being asked to speak up. You know what I mean? But that's the thing. Even if you have, like, social anxiety or whatever, if you speak so quietly that people are going to ask you to speak up, you're going to have to do it anyway. You might as well start confident enough to open with the big boy voice. You know what I'm saying? That's that confidence thing. Not just about Pashna. Treat yourself like you are someone you are responsible for helping. I unironically think this is excellent advice. I actually think this is like 10 out of 10, you know? One of the big issues people have is that they're, they're so down on themselves that they don't treat themselves with the same respect they would treat other people. But you should always be your first priority. I mean, unless you're like a parent with kids or whatever. But I mean, when it comes to like dealing with your life day to day, like you're you, like you're the vessel. You know what they say, even when a plane's going down and the oxygen masks drop from the ceiling, you help yourself before the next person. You know why? Because if you're trying to put a mask on somebody else, but you're not getting any air yourself, you might pass out before you help them. And then you're fucking dead, you know? Especially if you give it to, like, a kid. What, is a four-year-old going to put a mask on you? Get real. No. Ridiculous. Yeah, everyone say a thing you like about yourself. Get in there. Come on. Post in chat. Yeah, get in there. Anyway, very important, you know? Treat, treat yourself, treat yourself, your mind, and your body like something that's on loan to you from, like, future you. You know what I mean? Let's say it's like this constant, ongoing cycle of ownership that you're only occupying a very brief temporal period for. Because everyone always says, you know, oh, whatever, if I do this, it's going to be my older self who suffers the consequences. Don't be stupid. Your older self is you in the future. Do you not realize? Oh, if I do that, this is a problem for future me. You are future you. It's not a different person. It's you. Be careful, folks. Make friends with people who want the best for you. Yep, easy stuff. No problems here. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to someone else, not to who somebody else is today. I like that too. You're the person you should compare yourself to. Self-improvement, big stuff, okay? Think of your favorite story, okay? Who here has read or watched Lord of the Rings, okay? How highly do you think of Samwise Ganji and Frodo last name? Oh, I think they're Baggins. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, it slipped my mind. Personally, I think they're kings. Now, do you think it bothers them that they're not as tall or as strong or as fast or as smart as many of the other characters? It shouldn't. They had their own hero stories, okay? They did their own whole thing. Yes, anybody who thinks they're bothered by that does not know how hobbits work in the Tolkien universe. The whole point was that their own personal journey from humble beginnings, okay? It's very pog, all right? Get in it, people. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. That's a weird one. I don't know if I agree about that. What does that even mean? Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them? Wait, okay, so this is a very interesting, funny for Jordan Peterson, uh, who's supposed to be the master of personal responsibility, makes you dislike them. You have control over how you interpret other people. 
So why is it that you assign infinite control over your children from you, but you don't talk about the control you have over your own reaction to your children's behavior? Maybe if your child does something you dislike, the problem is with you. Maybe you need to adjust your standards or values. This, yeah, this is some control freak shit. It's authoritarianism, for sure. Yeah, and, and like, what does this mean? Like, don't let your kids be gay? Lots of people don't like gay people. Like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, uh, conversion therapy? What is the consequence of this? If your kid does stuff that you dislike, that's just part of life, dude. Kids are real-ass people. Like, they're going to be annoying. You're not going to like every element of your kid, right? Because they're, they're other people. They're not like miniature versions of you. Even my best friends do things that make me dislike them sometimes. So why would a kid be any different? Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. This one is so, so, so bad for so many reasons. First of all, it's hypocritical because he wrote this while his life was an absolute shambles in the background. Second of all, this is the... Um, this is one of those tenets where he's trying to push, like, social conservatism. Essentially, the idea is uh, you don't have the right to change the world until there are you have addressed whatever problems there are in your, perfect, in your uh, personal life. The problem is, problems in your personal life are often caused by problems in the world. Poverty and stress cause massive problems in your personal life, but they're also systemic problems which can be fixed with government policy. Likewise, Jordan Peterson has reached tens of millions of people, and his life was in absolute shambles. So what does that say about him? Does he actually believe this, or does he just want other people to follow it? The implication here fundamentally is that unless all of your life is already taken care of, which kind of implicitly suggests that you're wealthy and, like, normatively successful, you don't have the right to change the world. I mean, this is fundamentally the same argument that people made about, um landowners being the only ones who should be able to uh, vote. Because back in the day, the idea was that only the most affluent and successful in society should be allowed the privilege of determining the direction the government goes. This is basically a modern-day version of that rule, saying that only the privileged, or those privileged enough to have at least overcome personal problems that they deal with, should be the ones to actually like go forward and change things. Yes, it's, it's a big meme. JP gets made fun of a lot for stuff like this, and I think it's totally fair. Dude's a hypocrite. Very cringe. Not good. Very bad. Pursue, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Um, I guess this is fine, but it's also kind of meaningless. Pursue what is meaningful is a pretty vacuous statement. I mean, I guess? Like, you might as well write, like, do things that are good. It also doesn't make much of a distinction between what is meaningful to you and what is, like, meaningful to Jordan Peterson, you know? Pursue what is meaningful, like, just purely to you? Like, what does that even mean? Number eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Sh sure. Okay. Number nine, assume the person you're listening to might know something you don't. I think that's good. I think that's generally a good thing to believe. This is basically just the principle of charity. Number 10, be precise in your speech. Again, the idea that Jordan Peterson would say this is so funny to me. Have you ever listened to this guy talk? He speaks in such long, rambling, uh, meaningless, like, anecdotal diatribes. He is so long-winded and word-salady. And so much of the stuff that he says, by the way, is, like, kind of philosophically bankrupt as well. 
Like a lot of the ideas that he's trying to express politically, historically, philosophically are really dumb, but he dresses it up in such flowery language that it becomes really difficult to understand what he's saying. And that's why a lot of people respect him. Yeah, academically incorrect as well, for sure. Do not bother children when they're skateboarding. Good idea. No problems here. And pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. Also, extremely good. No problems here. Very good. Absolutely. No problems with these last two. Might be the best ones there. Uh, and then we got Beyond Order, which is the next 12 rules for life. You know, the, 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 the banger sequel that he threw out there. 432 pages. My goodness. Well, do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement. So I like this one nominally. I like this one as it's written. But there is an interesting implication here. Do not carelessly denigrate social institutions. Well, what does Jordan Peterson consider to be a careless denigration? You know what I mean? Because I agree, whenever you're denigrating anything, you should be careful about it. But the problem is that Jordan Peterson has compa compared like trans activists to Mao Zedong, you know? He's compared progressives to Stalin. He said that their ideologies are identical. So he constantly and incredibly carelessly denigrates social institutions and forces he disagrees with him. Remember when he lied about Bill C-16? Just completely bald-facedly lied about it? Like, he does this all the time. So what does he mean when he says, don't carefully denigrate social institutions? Well, to me, it sounds like he's saying, you fools, you postmodern neo-Marxists, you don't understand what Western civilization has done for you. Like, that's, that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like, to me, it sounds like he's essentially saying, you have no idea what you're doing. You know, like, that thing. Number two, imagine who you could be and then aim single-mindedly at that. This is incredibly stupid. This is actually, I would actually go so far as to say this is very bad advice, okay? Imagining who you could be is not the same as, like, envisioning the best version of yourself. Those are very different things. This isn't the same as follow your dreams. The problem is, is that imagining who you could be is often like a process informing an almost cartoonishly characterized version of yourself. Imagining who you could be, like, what does that mean? What does could be mean? Like something that's achievable in a one in a million shot or something that is realistic? This could be a very self-destructive process. Do not hide unwanted things in the fog. Okay. Uh, like I said, this is the follow-up book, so these rules weren't thought through as much. Sure. True. Do, yeah, don't... Don't do that. Avoid, avoid doing that. Allegorically, I'm guessing, yeah, this means, like, don't bury your trauma or whatever. And... Great? Sure? You know? Is this, do you feel like this might be a little bit, um, self-reporting after the whole Benzos incident? You know what I mean? Like, after he spent, like, years drifting mindlessly through drug fog in his brain, you know, he's, like, coming out of that. Yeah, he's got a lot of fog in his head, and he's like, don't, like, he woke up somewhere on, like, a Russian operating table. Don't hot the fog. You must avoid the fog. And then he, like, fell back asleep for six months. And then somebody reminded him of that when he woke up, and he was like, hmm. Then he wrote the other. Yeah, what happened to being precise with your speech? All right. Notice that opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. Uh, this is fine. 
if people shirk their responsibilities, that means there's an opportunity to do something there. You could make an argument for this economically, where if people aren't doing something that needs to be done, there might be an economic opportunity there. But you can also talk about this like in a civic or like virtuous sense, you know? Like an opportunity to be virtuous exists where responsibility has been abdicated. I think that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong there. Of course, there are ways to say this that are like annoying and a product of social conservatism, but fundamentally, I don't think there's anything wrong with the rule. Do not do what you hate. Damn! JP. I should write some, you know? Hold on. I don't know. I... This feels easy. You know what I mean? There we go. Does this not feel phoned in? Do not do what you hate. Seriously? Okay. Number six, abandon ideology. I love this one. So this is why you can safely laugh at anything and everything that Jordan Peterson has to say ever for anything, okay? This is ideology. You are literally consuming ideology as you read this book, okay? This is the pure distilled wubba-lubba-dub-dub energy of the kind of, like, sophist, like, uh, anti-intellectual, uh, you know, anti-SJW who, um, who legitimately believes everything they believe is product of some kind of pure reason. The funny thing is, Jordan Peterson doesn't even advocate for pure reason. He doesn't. He explicitly frames his, his worldview in a framework of, of, of his ideology. He explicitly talks about uh, Judeo-Christian values and Western civilization informing the things he believes. He himself breaks this rule. What does this mean, abandon ideology? The most charitable thing that you could derive from this is try to arrive at your positions through, like, strong reasoning, not just because they correlate to the beliefs that people who already hold your ideology hold, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying abandon ideology, you know? And by the way, the implication from this is pretty clear because you know what he's really saying. Abandon, like, SJW ideology. Because what he's saying isn't ideology, you know? When Black Lives Matter and feminists and postmodern cultural Marxists or whatever, when they spill their dogma, that's ideology. But when Jordan Peterson talks, he's just talking. It's a whole other thing, you know? Work as hard as you possibly can on at least one thing and see what happens. Okay? Seriously? Again, like... Alright. See what happens? That's the, 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 the fruit you get to eat after all that? Try to make one room in your home as beautiful as possible. Here we get clean your room, just redressed. Try to make one room in your home as beautiful as possible. I guess that's fine advice. It is nice to have a sort of decorative component to your house. But, yeah, I don't... Okay. If old memories still upset you, write them down carefully and completely. Uh, trauma dump into your journal. I think this is okay advice, right? I think this is okay. Um, 
I think that uh, oftentimes like talking about things that are bothering you can be very helpful, you know, um, and talking about it can sometimes mean just expressing it. And even if expressing it is just to yourself, I think that's good. I think the problem, the thing is like human thoughts are really scattered unless we have something coherent to lock onto. You know what I mean? That's why people think with an internal voice or that's why the development of language furthered human thought. Because if you don't have a language to organize your thoughts around, it can be really difficult to keep coherent thoughts in your head outside of like really immediate stuff. Philosophy needed language, essentially. So if you just like have a bunch of old shit that's bothering you, like memories or trauma or whatever else, sometimes it can be really tough to focus on those things if you're just thinking about them like in a vacuum, you know, like you're gathering little memories, but others sort of fly out of your grip and so on. That's really, really difficult. Another way to put this is, at least in my mind, I have a much easier time understanding a point or believing something or learning something whenever I'm debating it or uh, uh, explaining it myself, you know? Talking to you guys about a thing helps sort of form together and make coherent my own thoughts. I think a lot of people are like that. Some people learn the best by teaching, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So. Writing something down can be a good way of ordering all your thoughts in a way that is coherent and allows you to sort of read them all out, repeat them, get everything out uh, of your brain. I think that's effective, you know? Everyone, everyone get that? I, th I, think that's, I think that's reasonable. Plan and work diligently to maintain the romance in your relationship. I guess this kind of takes the love out of it a little bit. Can you imagine Jordan Peterson saying this out loud? Or like to a spouse? Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's nothing wrong with the advice, though. Romance is a pretty cool thing. I think that's nice. And I think a lot of people don't understand that it will naturally fall away a bit in long-term relationships unless you work to maintain it, you know? Because um, the, the thing is, romance isn't the same as friendship. There's a sort of different context to the feelings, and it can be very difficult to maintain its existence uh, un unless you're willing to put effort into it. A lot of people think it just stays there forever, and it will never change no matter what, and it's just a permanent component of people's beliefs uh, and relationship, which is just not true. Now, the plan and work diligently to maintain bit does kind of take the fun out of it a little bit, but yeah, you know, it's important. Uh, it's yeah, You gotta take it seriously, you know? Gotta take it seriously. Vosh, some of these criticisms aren't fair. I imagine these rules are followed up by chapters that would give more context slash meaning to these rules. While that's true, I mean, I guess I could read a 432-page book. The problem is, is that Jordan Peterson is a shiftless coward who will say things whenever it's, like, convenient to him and then abandon them later when it's more convenient to believe in other things. So I don't actually give a fuck what the context is. He does this so, so, so often. And a lot of the worst stuff that he believes is only expressed through implication. So, I, like, I don't particularly care what he adds. Uh, most people are going to just see the rules. If he wanted the rules... Uh, to contain more context than he could have made them longer, uh, or he could have made them more than one sentence, uh, but he didn't, so there we go. Do not allow yourself to become resentful, deceitful, or arrogant. Okay, don't be bad. Be grateful in spite of your suffering. This is a very um, uh, stoicist perspective here. Um, I The problem that I have with this one is that I don't necessarily have an issue with it. The problem is the context in which it's being delivered, you know? Be grateful for what? Grateful for life? Sure. Grateful to the systems that oppress you? Well, what do you mean exactly? Remember Charlie Kirk when he said that gratefulness is something you should be teaching kids in school, that that was even the point of teaching stuff like to kids? The reason for that is because very far-right people believe that 
Like, fundamentally, you know, people should know their place. At the end of the day, like, you should know your place, stay in line, and not speak up. That stuff is very, very strange to me. You know what I mean? Like, that idea. Because, by the way, like, Jordan Peterson doesn't follow that rule. People who engage in any kind of political activism don't follow that rule. Be grateful in spite of your suffering. Grateful for what? I feel like the, the implication here is that a lot of people are whiners. It's the same reason why Charlie Kirk was really, like, honed in on getting me to admit that I was grateful for some things. Of what relevance is that? You know? Like, I ask you, of what relevance is my gratefulness for the fact that I live in this country? What does my gratefulness do for the world? I guess it informs my perspective? It's not really as important as a lot of other things, though. Are you grateful to anyone? Yeah, of course, the people in my life. But gratefulness is also a way of enforcing exactly docility. Yeah, 100%. The more docile, uh, or the more grateful you are, the more likely you are to become sort of just willfully complacent to the world, um, because you're so grateful for all of it, you know? Gratefulness is, on one hand, it's the thing that you are for your loving mother, but on the other hand, it's what little Timmy gets told after he gets only one, like, bowl of gruel, you know? When little Timmy is like, can I have another one? Can I have some more? And the headmaster smacks him down and says, you should have been grateful for your first... You could have gotten nothing out there on the streets. Like, it's, it's, you can do it in either direction, you know what I mean? Um, there are ways that gratefulness can be constructive and destructive, but, yeah. Anyway, those were the 24 rules of life, which for some reason I guess I've never actually talked about in the channel before, which is a little weird. Oh yeah, here's that clip from Jordan Peterson. There are like a million clips from Jordan Peterson. Presented from none other than the Twitter squirrel. And men and women work together in the workplace. Yes, I, how do, I you do it. How do you know? Because I work with... Here's a question. Can men and women work together in the workplace? Yes, I, how do, I you do it. How do you know? Because I work with a, a lot of women. Right. Well, it's been happening for, what, 40 years? And, and things are deteriorating very rapidly at the moment in terms of the relationships between men and women. So this is what I mean by, like, JP being a fucking clown. First of all, 40 years is basically, like, almost the entire lifespan of a working adult like from 20 to 60. I mean, that's getting close to the entirety of a time. Also, it's not been 40 years. First of all, men and women have worked together for far longer than 40 years. You think women started working with men in the 1980s? What? Women started getting more prominent in working spaces during the 1960s, 60 years ago. But yeah, but even then, before then, women still worked like all the time. The image we have of women like not working up until the um the second wave feminist movement is mostly constructed through like upper middle class white women you know in reality poor women and women of color have been working for a very long time do you think that like poor black women in the 30s were just like just like like child rearing at home no god no people have been working is there sexual harassment in the workplace yes should it stop that'd be good Will it? Well, not at the moment it won't because we don't know what the rules are. Except sexual harassment was more common in the past. This is what I mean. Jordan Peterson is essentially implying that men and women shouldn't work together, that women should stay at home, or at the very least there should be segregated working spaces, and he's doing it by presenting information that is factually not the case. Women have not been working with men for just 40 years, and women are not now subjected to more sexual harassment than before. What this is, is a reactionary action against the Me Too movement. Jordan Peterson doesn't like the fact that the Me Too movement is exposing bad behavior from men. 
So he's reframing the discussion to being whether or not women should be even able to work with men. It's essentially a way of removing men's responsibilities for the entire broader process of workplace sexual harassment and turning it into a fundamental question about whether or not the two are even capable of working together, which is A, incredibly reactionary and destructive, and B, uh, very, very, very keen on absolving men of responsibilities. Very weird stuff. Very cringe. Do you think men and women can work in the workplace together? I don't know. I don't without know. sexual harassment? We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. How many years Who will knows? it take for men and women working in the workplace together? More than 40. To get a sense. It's, again, I don't know why he doesn't point out it's been more than 40. Like, keep in mind that JP talks confidently on history. Imagine conf like confidently speaking on history and say that women have been working with men for 40 years. We don't know what the rules are. Like, what? here's a rule. Don't, don't How about no makeup in the workplace? Why would that be a rule? Why should you wear makeup in the workplace? Uh, Isn't that sexually provocative? No. So, again, this is the no ideology guy. Um, so, this is, so the argument that he's about to make is that red lips simulate like the flushed, um, simulate like the, the flushed features of, of a woman during arousal. So let's listen to that, then I'll respond. Oh, it's not? No. Well, what is it then? What's the purpose of makeup? Some people would like to just put on makeup. Why? To, to, make you to, look good. I don't know why. Why do you make your lips red? Because they turn red during sexual arousal. Okay. What about eyeshadow? Do do women's eye eye sockets naturally darken during sex as well? Is that is that also a thing? What about concealer? Do 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 women suddenly secrete some kind of hormone that smooths their skin during sex? Have I I've just not noticed this? Why are we fixating on the red lip? By the way, red lipstick. I'm going to be honest, guys. I don't actually see that many people wear red lipstick. Don't most people wear lipstick that's their natural shade? Or like a couple like shade, like tones off or something? Like full on red lipstick. Like that's like a, that's like a whole look. I mean, I don't think that's super common, you know? Yeah. What about painted nails? When women are aroused, do their nails suddenly like exude pigment? What? And by the way, by the way, why is Jordan Peterson only talking? about how women's makeup accentuates sexualized characteristics in women. What about men? Padded shoulders simulate a wide uh, V, uh, uh, triangle-shaped frame, uh, uh, which um, are an indication of physical health and fitness. What about the fact that a lot of men's clothing is kind of inherently phallocentric in a, in a little way? You know, this is like kind of a more abstract designer argument, but like suits, have a belt buckle right above the dick and a tie that points down to the dick when the um when the jacket is opened like it's 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 framed almost like the fibonacci sequence you know it's like the center is like right there like what about that what a ton of men's like clothing is designed and framed in order to accentuate attractive characteristics in men sexually attractive characteristics what about wrist watches you know people don't wear wrist watches because they're um because they need to know what the time is. They have phones for that. People wear wristwatches because they're an archetype of traditional masculinity, the kind of traditional masculinity that a ton of people find attractive. What about beards? Men wear beards because it's usually the way of shoring up a... Well, not every guy with a beard. But often because it's a way of shoring up people with weak jawlines or weaker chins, which can exacerbate the masculine characteristics of their face underneath and indicate they have a higher testosterone level. 
What about men's glower? Hey guys, the glower that men give during sex, that sort of bewildered, hungry look that they often give, you know, that's a practiced look. Oftentimes it takes place during sex, but oftentimes it's something that men kind of default engage in uh, as a way of sort of projecting a, a, a permanent masculine fixture. Oh, have you guys never noticed that? Oh, guys, 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 guys. If you're ever walking down the halls of any office building and there's a guy who's trying to look busy, okay, look at his default facial expression. For, uh, oftentimes there is a practiced default expression that a lot of guys try to adopt and it's informed by like this steely like masculinity uh, uh, that they, it's a yeah, mating dance, exactly. You guys know what I mean, right? Tell me at least some of you know what I mean, right? A lot of people do, it's it's somewhat performative. A lot of people don't go like around moment to moment with like their completely neutral facial expression. Yes, the blue steel, of course. Give us a visual example. You Like the furrowed brows, the slightly tight lips, the thing you do where you draw your jaw forward so that it's a little more, you've never seen this. I'm just going to show blue steel, okay? You know, it may be, okay, you know what? I've heard people talk about it before. Maybe, maybe this conversation's too advanced for you guys. Here we go, okay? This is what, this is what every guy looks like in an office building. You can just take it from me, okay? Those of you who have never worked before, they're all just walking around like this, okay? Now, Jordan Peterson, how do you answer to this one? How do you answer to this one? Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, how do you answer to this one? Jordan Peterson, do you think that, do you think the Bogdanov twin should be allowed to work? Important questions are being asked today. They fall on deaf ears. Don't beat. Okay, stop. Let's finish this damn video. The point that I'm trying to get at here is that um, Jordan Peterson's argument is ridiculous. He's implying that men and women can't work together, and he's implying that, well, he's basically outright stating that women wearing makeup is irresponsible because it elicits sexual attraction. But all elements of fashion, design, and personal presentation, or at least many of them, are informed by an attempt to make yourself more sexually attractive. The clothes we wear fit us in a certain way. When we wear expensive clothing, they're usually used to sort of act as a status symbol or to demonstrate a degree of fashion coherence, wealth, opulence, or general self-awareness. When you wear clothing that accentuates your fitness, that also contributes to it. When you wear clothing that accentuates certain body parts over other body parts, like, for example, people wearing higher uh, inseam shorts versus lower inseam shorts. These are all things that people do, sometimes at least, to inform people's attraction. But Jordan Peterson is hyperfixating on women's makeup. You know why? Because it's a victim-blaming argument. Because it's essentially saying, like, oh, well... Never before have women been harassed like this. Maybe we can't even work together. Maybe women shouldn't even wear makeup. The implication there is that women are at fault for the harassment they experience because of the makeup that they wear. That's why. Why do you put rouge on your cheeks? Same reason. I mean, look. Also, the fact that, like, Jordan Peterson thinks that the archetypical woman wearing makeup is red lipstick and rouge on your cheeks really is an indication that he doesn't get out much. What kind of makeup do you think people wear? Seriously, like, did, like Jordan, does Jordan Peterson think this right here is like the average working woman, like out on the job? Like this is, this is just, when a woman goes out wearing makeup, uh, that's just, they, they're just all like that all the time, you know? Probably not. 
I think that your I think your average like woman in makeup probably I mean just looks like this. Well, this is a model, of course. So you know, of course, we don't necessarily normally like look like this. But no, wait, actually, hold on. Let me try to find a person who's less hot. I'm trying to make a normie argument here. Let me bring it back down to that. Let me bring it slightly back down. Yeah, here we go. This is what I think of when a, when I think of like a woman wearing makeup. Forgive the resolution or whatever. It's not about rouge on your cheeks and red lips. It's about concealer. That's that's the thing that that's what a lot of them spend most of their time on. It's just making their skin look smooth, which is by the way something men also care about for themselves. That's makeup, damn. Everyone's wearing makeup all the time, okay? I can't tell how many of these fucking pictures have been facetuned. Yeah, all of them, so it's really hard to find. Anyway, when I see this woman, I do not think sexual arousal is being elicited. You know what I mean? This is JP's uh, typical woman. Yeah, here we go. When you have sultry ladies like Jessica Rabbit in the workplaces, how are you surprised when there are problems with, with men and women? Like, yeah, okay. Finish the clip, finish the segment. How about high heels? What, what, are they what about high heels? What about them? They're there to exaggerate sexual attractiveness. That's what high heels do. Every, all the shit that we wear exaggerates sexual attractiveness. Also, what are the origin, hold on, origins of high heels? Didn't we invent high heels to torture women or something? High-heeled shoes were first worn in the 10th century as a way to help the Persian cavalry keep their shoes in their stirrups. We salute our ancestors. Every woman who's wearing high heels, okay, just imagine, just imagine a, a Persian horseman uh, 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 charging through the steppe, uh, beheading Greeks or whatever. High heels were originally made for men. I think, I think, don't people wear high heels because they make your legs look longer and they also make you look taller? That's like the main thing, right? So making you look taller is irresponsible? Do men not do things that make you look taller? Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't use sexual displays in the workplace. Uh -huh. I'm not saying that. Uh-huh. But I am saying that that is what they're doing. And that is what they're doing. If, if, do you feel like a serious woman who does not want sexual harassment? So I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things. I just opened earlier by saying one rule we could implement to allow men and women to work together is to ban makeup. This is what I mean. Like, he never actually states anything. Here's a plan. What if women couldn't wear makeup? 15 seconds later. Now, I'm not saying that women shouldn't wear makeup in the workplace. I'm just saying words. In the workplace, do you feel like if she wears makeup in the workplace, that she is somewhat being critical? Yeah. Okay. Let me just hear that one more time. Does not want what they're doing. And that is what they're doing. If, if you feel like a serious woman who does not want sexual harassment in the workplace, do you feel like if she wears makeup in the workplace that she is somewhat being critical? Yeah. Yeah. So there's Jordan Peterson. You're asking for it. Literally, you're asking for it. If you don't want to be sexually harassed, but you wear makeup, you're a hypocrite. That like, I, yeah, it's yeah. Again, why do people take this guy seriously? I guess you guys wouldn't. I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but. Yeah, a lot of people pretend that Jordan Peterson isn't some kind of obviously partisan, like, misogynistic political hack. But he is, and you can dress that up as much as you want, but unfortunately, it remains a fact. His rhetoric is very good for his type, that's why he's popular. Well, he's just a daddy figure. It's just a bunch of... With respect, okay? There are a bunch of, like, 
kind of loser guys out there right now who have very little in the way of like self-confidence and a feeling of like positive masculinity. So what they're looking for is a way of legitimizing their negative feelings and trying to find and build some kind of modern identity around their masculinity and they don't know how to do it, okay? Like not many people are building their masculinity these days around like cowboy movies. Because that used to be a really, really big masculine archetype, and it still is, depending on what part of America you live in. But for the most part, I think a lot of people are looking for some kind of other way of of, of approaching these issues, of, of trying to find ways to like shore up their lost masculinity. And um, that's why we looked at those 12 rules for life. It's why I think that Jordan Peterson has been so effective. He touches on so many uh, components of traditional self-help mythology uh, that it's really easy to fall into a spiral. But when you look at what Jordan Peterson actually says about self-help, it is, at its best, kind of okay, sort of samey, generic drivel. And that it's worse, it's explicitly politically partisan and deeply reactionary. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty weird stuff. I think a lot of guys who feel lost don't really want to be patronized, which is why Jordan Peterson appeals as well, because he never comes off as, like, condescending. He comes off as sympathetic to incels, but never like, like there's weak little baby people who need him to reach out and personally lift them up from the dirt. Instead, he's just, uh, you know, he's just some wise paternal figure. Voss, did you ever call him a Nazi? No, I said he peddles a Nazi conspiracy theory, which he does again. Uh, the postmodern neo-Marxist is just a modern incarnation of the cultural Bolshevist conspiracy theory the Nazis ran with, who said that Jews ran essentially every cultural institution, uh, the banks, everything else in Germany, and they peddled academia in a way to promote anti-masculinity and anti-white values. Uh, it's basically just the modern incarnation of that. You just don't say Jewish people, you just say them and kind of let the other conspiracies like fill in the gaps. Um, I mean, whatever works. Yeah, globalists, SJWs, you know. Do you feel you're too hyperbolic when it comes to conservatives generally? No, not even slightly. No, I really don't think that. People say that I am, and then conservatives go ahead and reiterate to me why my criticisms are valid. Um, but anyway, with regards to... Um, with regards to Jordan Peterson, I just think that a lot of his self-help stuff has been successful because there is, at its root, kind of a fundamentally reactionary component to a lot of the, you know, way less, not so happy, meaningless, listless guys, where a lot of them feel like their masculinity has been stolen from them by a cucked world and they need, like, Daddy Peterson to give it back or something, or at the very least to show them the way, uh, like Ugandan Knuckles, you know the meme? Show him the way? Exactly, like that. Um. And I just don't think it works. Because honest to God, like, I gotta wonder, like, how many people's lives have really been made better from Jordan Peterson? Is he even, like, that loved for his uh, self-help? Because he didn't become famous for self-help, you know. He became famous for the C-16 bill, the, the one that he lied about, the one that still nobody has been arrested over, but he said, like, dramatically that he was willing to be carried off to the gulags as billions and billions of free-loving Canadians uh, were sent to jail for misgendering, like, xenogender people, and still nothing happened. Yeah, he wasn't known for his books. He was known for his, um, well, his political hackery, really. He was, he was known for being an alarmist. He also got famous for his anti-feminism. Yeah, probably not the, uh, probably not the, uh, uh, 
the the best um representative for self-help uh in existence you know i really think like men have to construct a new positive archetype a new positive identity to build themselves around but jordan peterson's a bad advocate for it first of all the dude's a fucking wreck uh second of all he's miserable and third of all it seems like all of the shit he actually cares about pushing has less to do with self-help and has a lot more to do with pushing a reactionary like christian nationalist worldview which is not great for self-help, you know? It's actually pretty bad. Because if anything, it is the need to defer to a common identity that has made so many people, especially a lot of, like, middle-class white people, fucking miserable. They feel like they lack that group to latch onto. I think that's one of the reasons why suicide rates and depression are more common in white affluent people than they are in other groups. It's because if you're, like, poor and black or whatever, there are immediate struggles that you can relate to and communities that you can build and be a part of that relate to the existence of those struggles. I'll tell you this much, guys. I've lived in some good neighborhoods and I've lived in some bad neighborhoods, okay? And in the good neighborhoods, nobody goes out into the street to play with the neighbor's friends. But in the bad neighborhoods, you can never get people off the street. They're always playing. The kids are always running around, throwing shit around, and the adults are talking to the adults from the nearby houses because they form a, a, a community together. Fundamentally, they need to. Um, because they share a lot of struggles and like one person babysits for the other and blah, blah. But in suburbs, rich, white, affluent suburbs, neighbors don't babysit neighbors' kids. You hire babysitters. Poor black neighborhoods don't do that. You get the neighbors to babysit your kids. So you're not going to fucking pay for a bit. Well, they are babysitting, but you know, it's, you don't pay. It's not like, oh yeah, here's 200 for the night. It's like, okay, you can have whatever's in the fridge. And I honestly think that's like a way healthier element of community building than anything you're going to get from the kind of projected wealth. 200, 200 can be a pretty standard fare for a upper middle class family paying a babysitter to stay the whole night. Um, really depends on the family. It, a lot of this depends massively depending on where you are. There are uh, there's a lot of context here, but I think it's that lack of community. The thing is, I think that a lot of these affluent white people are looking for community in the worst possible places. This is where a lot of neo-Nazis get, you know, sort of dredged up from. They're looking for community in their identity. They're looking for it in their race. They're looking for it in their country. They're looking for it in stuff like this, you know what I mean? Um, and that's a really bad way to form an identity. First of all, have you guys ever, like, seen a neo-Nazi or a far-right rally? Do any of these guys look like they're having fun? Do they even talk to each other? No, they don't. Seriously, look at these rallies. These guys are not be like buddy buddying around they're angry and miserable and united only in a collective misery and anger that's it you know but that's not the case at blm rallies blm rallies you will see people you know out there a cab 13 12 fuck whatever like stuff that you you'll see at 12 30 you see all that stuff you know but if you go to these blm rallies as well there are clearly people like chatting it up and having fun everywhere have you guys ever been is that not true? You can see them often like the alleys. You can see them like leaning against the buildings. People just talk with each other. People make friends at these events. And the reason for that is because people at a BLM rally aren't uniting around their race. They're uniting around a shared belief. And there's a pretty big difference between those things, I think, fundamentally. Um, people who go to these white nationalist rallies, there will be t people with wildly incompatible views will join together because they're all sort of under the broader umbrella of like white rights or like white power or whatever. But in BLM, I feel like there's a sort of a more directed, positive, uh, affirmative thing to go for. TBH, Vosh, the Trump rallies get kind of hype, lol. 
That is true. Trump rallies are places that you guys can go to make friends. That is unironically the case. You might not make the best friends, but you can make friends there. That is 100% true. But the thing is, people at Trump rallies are usually going there not because they're like trying to meet other white people. Well, actually, no, let's be sure. A ton of them probably are. There is something more to it than the most baseline adherence to identity. The point that I'm trying to get at is that a lot of these affluent, like upper middle class white kids with no friends who are looking to reclaim their identity and their masculinity, they look for it in the wrong places. They look for it in shared anger and misery. What they should be doing is forming positive communities uh, uh, that actually appeal to them. You know what I mean? Form communities that make you happy. If there are local game stores that you like going to, then have fun over there. If you like playing Magic the Gathering, form communities around that, you know? Go outside, go to local venues, have the confidence to talk to people. You know, that's something that Jordan Peterson never talks on, which is really weird because it's the biggest problem with the modern world with regards to people not being able to make friends. Not talking to people. Jordan Peterson never has a rule on that, which is a little weird because that's like the main reason. He doesn't talk about socializing at all. I know talking to people is difficult, but you can do it. Going out to a, I know COVID makes this more difficult right now, but you have to understand in the broader context that you can go out there. You can go to any, you can go to a goddamn bowling alley. You can go to a bowling alley. We talked about mini golf before. That's important. You can go to game shops like where they have Warhammer stuff or Magic the Gathering or Pokemon cards. Not that you'd ever catch me dead playing that. You can go to conventions. You can go to this. You can go to that. You can go to anywhere that you have an interest in and find people who are cool to talk to, you know? You can literally go online right now, as long as you live in a medium-sized city, and probably find Facebook groups that pertain to interests near you. Or, if it's a big enough city, you can probably find archived lists of ongoing community spots that happen at regular intervals all over the city, and you can attend them. When I was in Los Angeles, which is one of the biggest cities in the world, of course, there were websites, like, you can, I don't remember the name of the site, but you could, like, I typed in Los Angeles and then gave it like an address to find like a zoom around. And within 25 miles, there were like hundreds of things going on. I ended up going to a, um, a hiking group and had a, had a fun time talking with people there. So that was good. You know, I, I didn't go back though, because that hike was hard. <laughs> my, my ankles aren't the best. What if you don't have money to spend on social events? You don't have to spend money at these places. You just have to go and talk to people. You don't even have to do that. I mean, you could literally just like, walk to anything nearby which is of public interest and strike up conversations there. You don't have to... Uh, guys, I know this is going to be crazy, but it's not actually that big of a deal to talk to somebody, you know? I know that in our modern, busy world, we've normalized looking down at your phone and not ever engaging with anyone around you unless you have a very specific, very deliberate context in which you should, but it really isn't that big of a deal to just talk with people. You know what I mean? Talk with the people who help you with the, the the service whenever you're buying groceries, you know? Talk to, go, go to a park somewhere nearby. Talk to people there if there's something going on. Go to a, I don't know. Don't go to a skate park, though. Don't go to a skate park, though. Uh, Jordan Peterson warned us about that. Yeah, go to the DSA, I don't know. Just talk to people, okay? What if you're autistic and awful at conversation? Then do an, do an interpretive dance. Look, socializing like anything else you can do, is like a muscle, okay? You practice it, and you get better at doing it, and then you get more poggers, more powerful, okay? 
And then you can go out and you can do it more easily in the future. What if I die? Well, then at least you died doing something worthwhile, okay? What if you don't feel the need to do so? Then don't listen to me. If you don't want to do this stuff, then don't, li don't listen to me. I'm just talking about socializing. If you want to talk to more people, and in speaking with more people, I think it's easier for people to construct a healthy version of masculinity, which is what we're sort of circling around back to with Jordan Peterson, because um, so many men who feel lost construct their masculinity in isolation, which is really, really strange. You know, most people, especially women, construct their femininity in relation to social expectation. It's not something they develop in isolation because of what they think women should be. They usually have it pressed on them. They're informed by the women in their life and by the results they get whenever they go outside looking like X or Y, how they are socially expected to behave, and then they learn to work within that space or break it entirely depending on how they want to go. But a lot of men, I'm be real with you guys, a lot of guys are essentially like isochambered until they're 18 with nothing about masculinity except for maybe like movies and how dudes act in like TV shows, impressing upon them what they're supposed to be as a man. So they construct their masculine identity through some sort of ridiculous, completely detached, like society doesn't inform you or contextualize you in any way. You just assemble it together online. And this is why I don't like Jordan Peterson's imagine who you could be and then pursue it like with everything you've got thing. Because if you leave guys alone, they will develop the stupidest versions of masculinity in the universe. If you leave a guy alone long enough, you find them like playing Warhammer 40k, unironically wishing that they lived in that universe because it's more manly. That is not something that women do, by the way, okay? That is not something that women do at all, okay? That's not, yeah, you will, you, if you leave men alone with this, you will see them, like, consume nothing but, God, even Preacher made fun of this. You know Preacher, the comic series where he did nothing but watch, like, John Wayne movies? And then, like, he built his version of masculinity around John Wayne to the point where he started developing the affects of accents of people who he'd never lived with. Like, yeah, he was literally like a satire of that, you know? And he was fucking insane. Yeah, you're store-buying masculinity. Of course you don't know how to be a man. You don't talk to anyone. You don't talk to women. How can you know? And this may sound like cis-heteronormative or whatever, but you're delusional if you don't think that what we consider to be masculinity is informed by relationships with feminine people. Not relationship in the sense of like being with them, but relationship like talking with them or being around them or understanding what they want from you. You can break from those expectations if you want. I'm not saying this is like, normatively a valuable thing. I'm not saying this is how it should be. I'm saying that for most people, how you learn to be a man is informed in some way by how you engage with women and likewise with women. And of course it's more complicated than this, but I'm trying to talk about like broader expectations. You get what I'm talking about, right? You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, Vermin, exactly, exactly. And so many people, so many guys are looking for like some archetype of masculinity that they can like cut out of a page like it's a face out of a glam magazine and put it on their own face, you know, uh, which is so ridiculous. And it leads to a lot of really miserable, unhappy people because reality is incompatible with whatever archetypes they built for themselves. Some people build like completely untenable versions of masculinity 
encounter the real world. And then that's when they get super mad about the rest of the world being super feminine and gigacucked. You know, if a guy is a social reject until he's 22, spent that entire time period building up some kind of facade of masculinity and then realized the world is more complicated than that, he's going to lash out at that world. A ton of reactionary politics stem from men not understanding how they were supposed to have developed their masculinity in the absence of proper socialization. And a lot of men don't get socialization because we socialize men in what limited ways we do to be individualistic, isolated, atomized, unwilling to open up to the people around them, uncomfortable with sincere expressions of affection, and undesirable in like every social sense. So we fuck men up by telling them that they're not worthy of the attention that people need to properly develop an internal identity, and then when they fail to develop an internal identity, they adopt a bad one prompted by grifters and dipshits, and then when that one doesn't work out for them, they're just like a doomer-pilled, black, gate-kept, gaslight, incel fuck dude, you know? It's all very bad, but there are ways to fix it, and it starts by subbing on my website. All you have to do is click the button up there and you can give me money in exchange for a colored name. You can also join the website at vosh.gg and have your and and type your own kekvs. See? There it is, right up there. Yep. And that's how you can fix masculinity forever, obviously. So get over there and also make sure to sub to the channel, okay? This is the main channel, the Vosh Pit, and I don't know, some of the clip channels. Get over there too. Look at that. Look at how much fun they're having, huh?